0: this morning we're going to talk about the art of prayer. We're going to talk about the art of prayer because it's like voodoo, it's like superstition, it's like hocus pocus, it's like crystal balls, it's like dowsing rods for people. They don't understand what prayer is. All they know is that when they were children, you know, they would get into some group and they, the prayer group and they all laid hands on them and they prayed for them and, Kids were scared half to death, and they. I never want to do that again. These people, you know, somebody's grandmother had bad breath, and somebody else, their hands were hot, and somebody else, their hands were cold, and somebody else held them down, and somebody else did this, and they have all these things about prayer. Or prayer is just blah 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 blah. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, is with thee blessed art thou among women, blessed with when she's Mary, Mother God, my her, now at the hour of a thousand times or ten times or you know, whatever. And it just becomes meaningless repetition to people and they they cast it out as just this insanity. Well, there's a reason for this. One of the works, Dirty Little Secrets, is what it calls prayer. What does the work call prayer? See, it's a dirty little secret, you don't know. But you're gonna know after today. It's understandable since true prayer has been so misunderstood by religions and by the religious. And and, you know, I'm not knocking on religions, I'm not putting the religious people down. I'm not doing that. And if you think I am doing that, then you need to get your house in order. You need to get squared away because you obviously have some issues and some problems that you're not dealing with if you can be offended by this. And of course, people can take offense at anything. If you're going around looking for offense, take the gate too. Prayer in the work is called aim. When you think about it, it'll make sense to you. Aim is really request to which we desire a response. You make an aim, you're really making a request. You're making a request of yourself. You're making a request of the work. You're making a request of the universe. When you say, I wish to remember myself, you're making a request. Because all you can do is have a strong desire and a strong wish because in our current condition, we can't do. And I don't mean in the ordinary sense. Of course you can scratch your head. Of course you can drive your car. Of course you can button your shirt. Of course you can do it in an ordinary way. That's not what the work is saying. What the work is saying is you can't do in a conscious way. And the reason you can't do in a conscious way is because you're not conscious. And what that means is, even though you are more or less conscious at different times, what that means is is that you cannot summon consciousness at will. That's what being conscious means. It's to be able to summon a state of consciousness at will. We can only summon a state of consciousness at will in our imagination. It's imaginary will and it's imaginary consciousness. But real consciousness cannot be summoned at will at our stage of development. It doesn't mean that we won't be able to summon consciousness. And it doesn't mean that some of you can't summon some bit of consciousness. If you're angry and all of a sudden you realize you're angry, you could say that you summoned that realization. But the truth is you didn't really. (laughs) If you could have summoned that, you would have summoned it before you got angry you may be able to see that as you're thinking about something and observing something, and if you happen to be observing it and you're remembering yourself at the same time you're observing it, then you are already in a state of consciousness, an expanded level of consciousness. You're already in the third state of consciousness. You're no longer completely asleep, so you're entering the third state of consciousness. Entering the third state of consciousness gives you access to the fourth state of consciousness. But you don't have access until you've entered the third state of consciousness. In the third state of consciousness, you can receive help. But in the second state of consciousness, you can't receive help. But you can receive a shock in the second state of consciousness that can snap you for a moment into the third state of consciousness where you can receive help. This is the mechanics of how it all works, but we don't usually see it that way. We don't see our lives in levels of consciousness. We don't go around saying, well, I'm in the second state of consciousness. If we did, we would instantly be in the third state of consciousness. See, and that's what happens. Every once in a while you realize, oh my God, I'm sound asleep. And then you're no longer asleep. So what you would accurately be saying is, oh, my God, I was sound asleep. Now I'm a little more awake. That would be more accurate. Just as religious people have misunderstood prayer, fourth way people have misunderstood aim. People in the fourth way are asleep, people in religions are asleep. People in religions are awake and people in the fourth way are awake. People in religions are at different stages of awareness and people in the fourth way are at different stages of awareness. So that whole formatory thinking that you find so often is the insanity of sleep. That's the insanity of not being in touch with reality. That's the insanity of being asleep. When you're asleep, everything is either or. Everything is yes or no. Everything is this or that. Everything is asleep or awake. But when you begin to awaken, you start to see that it's not that way, that everything isn't black or white. There are thousands of shades of gray in between. So when I say understanding is the greatest force that we can create in ourselves, obviously we need to create that force in ourselves in order to understand religion and the work. They're not two separate things. Gurdjieff himself said, if you choose to accept it, this work is esoteric Christianity. He may have just as easily said, this work is esoteric Sufism. He may have just as easily said, this work is esoteric Judaism. He may have just as easily said, this work is esoteric Hinduism. Because when it gets to the esoteric principles of all the religions, they all begin to touch and come together. But you can't see that from outside. You can only see that from inside, from a more internal state of consciousness, which means a higher state of consciousness, a more expanded state of consciousness, where you understand more. When you understand, you can see what connects things. You can see the connecting links. You can see what they have in common. When you don't understand, all you can see is either or, yes or no. But you can't see yes and no, this and that. There are three kinds of prayer. There are three kinds of aim. There's invented aim imaginary aim and real aim, which means there is invented prayer, imaginary prayer, and real prayer. Two can be useful. One is mostly worthless. So the two that can be useful is invented prayer and real prayer, or invented aim and real aim. And the one that is almost always worthless is imaginary aim or imaginary prayer. Which do you think people do the most? Well, of course, because we are asleep, because people are asleep, mostly, then what they do the most is imaginary aim. And imaginary aim is easy to fulfill because you imagine the fulfillment of it just like you've imagined the aim. For example, someone imagines that they would like to be awake. They would like to wake up and be conscious. And then they imagine that they are. So that's the end of that aim because now I'm fully conscious. And there's this rare moment when I wake up out of bed and it takes me a moment to become fully conscious again. But when I wake up, then I'm fully conscious. And then they live their lives like that in imagination completely asleep, but imagining that they're awake, which is how we all got here. Most invented prayer comes from the second state of consciousness. It has no practical meaning. A man, as he is, can't pray. To pray, one must first be in a state of self-remembering, which, of course, is the third state of consciousness. How many people make it to the third state of consciousness on a regular basis? Well, very few. Very few people are ever conscious of themselves. They're conscious of what they're watching on TV. They're conscious of looking at other people. But that's not the third state of consciousness. The third state of consciousness is conscious of yourself and whatever impressions you are taking in from whatever it is over there. And you realize that you are separate from it. In the second state of consciousness, you're taking impressions in all the time, but you don't know it. You're completely identified with them and you're reacting to them. And you don't know that you're reacting to them. You say, well, I'm not reacting. This is what I wanted to do. And that is a characteristic of the second state of consciousness. That kind of denial of the truth, that kind of imagination that I am awake, and that kind of resistance to the truth. It's denial and resistance. I am awake. Don't tell me I'm not awake. You're trying to tell me that I don't know what I think? Well, actually, yes, I am trying to tell you that. I'm trying to tell you that you don't know what you think. I'm trying to tell you you don't know what you feel. I'm trying to tell you that you don't know what you do. And the degree of resistance that you have to that is determined directly by the degree of sleep that you're in. When you don't resist that and you say, well, yeah, you're, not, you're right, you don't, you're absolutely right. I don't know what I think, I don't know what I feel, and I don't know how I react. And every once in a while, I have a moment where I do know, well, good for you. Welcome to the world as I know it. Now, there's another world, the imaginary world, where everyone is conscious all the time. But I try and stay away from that world. If we pray in a state of sleep, the second state of consciousness, nothing can happen. Nothing meaningful is going to happen. It doesn't mean that something won't happen. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Even in a meaningless universe, there is action and reaction. If you live in a meaningless universe, it wasn't created, there's no purpose, you just sprouted up out of pond scum and then you started to exist. But you have no meaning outside of that. And when you die, that's it, you're dead. If you live in a meaningless universe like that, then everything is action and reaction. There's no request-response. There's no prayer in in a universe like that. Everything is action and reaction. Everything is based on law. Everything just happens according to set laws, as far as we know. But then there's a place where the laws all go wonky and we don't know anything about it and we don't know. So it's back to meaningless universe again. If you live in that universe, then you don't need to worry about prayer because there is no such thing. There's just action and reaction, there's just that. It's just when you heat something up, it gets hot. When you cool it down, it gets cold, and you do, it's just the way it is. But meaning, if you live in a universe that has meaning, then you know that meaning descends from the absolute. There is something that is absolute, so there's absolute meaning. The further we get away from the absolute, the less meaning there is. The meaning becomes more and more obscure. Action, reaction isn't request, response. One is mechanical. unconscious while the other is more conscious let's try and look at it on a sliding gradient scale let's try and look at it as just absolutely asleep reacting under the law of living your life under the law of accident you don't know what's going to happen anything could happen and the other one is as you slide up the scale and it becomes less and less dark it becomes more and more light so you see the dawn starting to gradiently come up here and as you get into more light you become more and more conscious you can see more and as you see more There is less reaction and more response. First, you must believe in something higher. You've got to believe that there is some meaning. You've got to believe that there is some absolute truth, some absolute meaning, that there's something. You don't have to know what it is. You don't have to identify it. You don't have to get it in a box. You can just accept the notion, intellectually accept the notion, that there could be something higher, that there could be an order, that there could be a first cause. Just accept that and you've already begun to give the universe meaning. If you can begin to accept it emotionally, then you have given the universe meaning. Now, does the universe have meaning? Yes, it does. But if you don't give it meaning, it has no meaning for you. Now, does that mean it has no meaning for your life? Oh, no. It still has a meaning for your life. But because you can't be touched by it, you will revert to the mechanical meaning that the universe has for your life. For example, an apple grows on a tree. What is the meaning of the apple? The meaning of the apple to an animal that can eat the apple and get nourishment from the apple is food. The mechanical meaning for the apple is seed and fertilizer. The apple will ripen, drop from the tree, bacteria will come, and bugs, insects will come and eat it and leave the seed, and some animal will come along and step on the seed and push it down in the ground, and rain will come and sun will come, and an apple seed will sprout and an apple tree will grow. That's one meaning. But the meaning for a mammal who goes up and picks the apple when it's ripe and bites into it and tastes it and says it's good to eat and eats it, the meaning then becomes nourishment. The meaning then becomes food. The meaning is entirely different. On a lower level, the bacteria will eat the apple and it's food for them. But it's all automatic. Whereas a mammal can go and pick the apple and eat the apple with some degree of awareness of what he's eating. Tasting it, smelling it, seeing it. Do you see the difference? So we're talking about different degrees of meaning. But first, you must believe that there is something higher. Jesus said, this is from John chapter 11, verses 40, 41, and 42. Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Let's change this around so that people whose mothers, when they were pregnant, whose mothers were scared by a preacher who was carrying a Bible, don't go crazy. Let's change it around and say, Jack said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of life, you will see the wonder of the universe, you will see the magnificence and the magic of everything all around you? So they removed the stone. Then Jack raised his eyes and said, Wow, I thank you, universe. I thank you, all that is holy, all that is good, all that is light, all that is bright, that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me because there's no place that I can go that you're not. There's no place that I can escape your presence because you are the presence of life. You are the presence of life. You are all that moves everything. If it exists, it exists by your leave, sir or ma'am or it. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they too might believe that I know what's happening here and that they can know what's happening here too. That's just taking the Bible and putting it in an esoteric language that is easier for people who are afraid of the Bible are afraid of religion to understand little mechanical eyes hinder us at every step in the second state of consciousness so let's look at it another way let's look at this story so jack said to his emotional side did i not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of life so they removed the stone well what was the stone well the stone has that basic hard level of truth that first level of truth so they removed that they rolled that out of the way and what's, what's there? There's this cavity, this openness, this space now that is now available because the stone was rolled away. So because the stone was rolled away, now something else is able to come forth. So then Jack raised his eyes and said, life, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. So what does raised his eyes mean? Raised your eyes means to look up in yourself. If you're looking up, you're looking inside because remember up is internal, internal is up. So if you raise your eyes, You're lifting your vision, you're lifting your vision, you're lifting your awareness, you're raising your consciousness, you're going within, you're going more internal, you're not looking out at the five senses, you're not relying on the five senses to tell you what's true. You're relying on your own consciousness, your own inner light, your own connection with the absolute to tell you what's true. So you lift up your eyes and as soon as you raise your eyes, you have to give thanks because you're grateful. As soon as you start to realize, as soon as you start to awaken, the first thing you do is you're grateful. The first thing you do is you give thanks. The first thing you do is you get happy because happy people are grateful. Grateful people are happy. It's how it works. So when you do that, when you lift your eyes, when you raise your eyes, when you raise your consciousness, you start to feel gratitude. You start to feel thankfulness. And you know because you're in that state of consciousness, you can be heard. When you reach the third state of consciousness, you know you can get help because you can be heard from that state of consciousness because there is actually something there to be heard. When you're just babbling in the second state of consciousness, when it's all just mechanical talk, it's meaningless. It means nothing. There's nothing there. So it's, it's meaningless. But when you reach the third state of consciousness and you begin some, some utterance, some wish, it can be heard because it's a real request then. And it will draw a response. Just as sure as there is such a thing as a request, a real request, I guarantee you there's always a response because you can't have one without the other because request-response is one thing. It's a ball. And you look at one side of the ball and you call it request and you look at the other side of the ball and call it response. But when you have made the request, you have received the response. The request is the response. And the response is the request. Where were we? I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. So, what does that mean? Well, who are the people standing around? Well, the people standing around are all those little mechanical eyes that are constantly sniping at us. You get a positive idea. You get a hold of a positive idea that this work gives you. You bring it, you lift your eyes to that. You raise it up in your consciousness. You look at it. You embrace it emotionally. And the little eyes go, that's never going to (laughs) work. They start sniping. They start pulling it down as fast as they can because they don't understand it. But if you hold it up with a sense of gratitude, the little eyes will not have that effect on you. You become impervious to their slings and arrows. You become impervious to their stupidity and their darkness. So that's another way to look at it. We could go on for the rest of the day on how to look at this, but we won't. We'll move on. Without self-remembering, prayer is impossible. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This was something Jack said to his friends when he was in a garden one night praying. Self-remembering. If you can't remember yourself, you can't pray. Why? Well, if you can't remember yourself, you can't reach the third state of consciousness. If you haven't reached the third state of consciousness, you're just babbling. vain repetition. Blah, 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 blah. And I want a pony. And I want... You may as well be sitting on Santa's lap telling him what you want for Christmas, because that's how unconscious it is. That's how insane it is. And if you've ever seen children on Santa's lap telling him what they want for Christmas, it's crazy. I want a Cadillac, and I want a, I want a gun, and I want a... you know. And they come up with all these... I want a pony. Well, what are you going to feed the pony? Where are you going to keep the pony? Oh, uh, okay, and I want pony food. Where, where are you going to keep the pony? I want a pony ranch. And where are you going to... <laughs> How are you going to ride the pony? I want a pony ladder and a pony saddle and a pony reins. And, and you keep on adding. And as their consciousness, as their, as their awareness begins to expand and they start to understand, it's like, you know, forget the pony. Could I just have the little toy, my little pony, and a hairbrush and leave me alone now. I don't like you. I like the other Santa who didn't ask me questions, who just said, okay, I'll bring all that stuff. Just be a good little boy or a good little girl. See, that's the way we want to live in the universe. But that's not how the universe works. At our level, we have to deal with what we have to deal with. At some other level, we'll have to deal with that. But right now, we have to deal with what we have at our level. And in our condition, the universe doesn't work by going and sitting on Santa's lap and asking for what you want. And then it just, you know, December 25th, you find it under a tree in your living room. It's just not how it works here. Unless you're a kid, and then it's still not how it works. How many of you always got what you wanted for Christmas? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And even, even somebody who always got everything they wanted for Christmas... They still didn't get everything they wanted for Christmas. They only got what they asked for. They didn't get what they wanted because they didn't know what they wanted, which, quite frankly, describes us perfectly. We don't know what we want. We're like little children at Christmas. So without self-remembering, prayer is impossible. He comes sitting on Santa's lap, blah, 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 blah. The work tempts us. I like this. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. I've said that the work tempts us. The work will tempt you. But we must not enter the temptation. We must rise above it, transform it, by transforming ourselves through the temptation. We don't enter the temptation, go do it. What we do is we use the temptation to bring up awareness. We use the temptation to bring ourselves up to the level of self-remembering where incoming impressions are coming in, where the temptation is. We can then transform ourselves right there at that level by transforming the impression. Now, sounds like double talk, doesn't it? Well, that's because it is until you can do it. And you can't do it until you work on it. And you're not going to work on it if all you do is sit here and listen to it. You actually have to do something about it once in a while. Once in a while meaning at least two or three times a day for some people once a week then twice a week and then three times a week then five times a week then seven times a week and then twice a day every other day and it just builds like that it just doesn't just bam 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 happen although in imagination it does imagination people are working all the time imaginary work is strong i'll tell you it's prolific If prayer is impossible without self-remembering, then the art of prayer must have something to do with the art of self-remembering. And trust me, self-remembering is an art and it's not an art that you wake up and know. It's not an art that you suddenly have a talent for. Because anyone who has any talent in anything at all knows that talent doesn't mean you're good at it. It means you have a desire, you have a knack, you have a wish, you have a desire for it, a strong desire, and you're willing, and it makes you willing to do the things to make that wish, that strong desire, come into manifestation. That's what talent means. Talent is not this free gift. If you've got talent, you've got it somewhere else. It wasn't a free gift. You earned it because nothing in this universe is for free and everything in this universe is for free. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. For those of you who love contradiction, I'm sure that you probably look like, you know, the exorcist now with your head spinning around. So there you go. If it spins around enough, maybe you'll get it. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who s- sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Matthew 6, 6-8. Remember what I said request and response was, how does the universe know what you need before you ask? Because the response and the request are one because the universe knows you better than you know yourself. The universe knows what you need. The absolute knows what you need. The conscious circle of humanity knows what you need. There are people in this room know what you need. You're just not one of them. That's the rule. Start with that rule, and then find out where it doesn't apply, okay? But start with that rule, and you will find that in 99% of the case, 99% of you, that applies. And it's only maybe a fraction of a percent that it doesn't apply. Good, find that. Find the place it doesn't apply. But guard yourself against then imagining that now that you found that, that it doesn't apply in the 99.9%. Don't do that. That's just silliness. Meaningless repetition is an attribute of the second state of consciousness. Well, what does meaningless repetition sound like? Well, it sounds like mechanical talking. It sounds like what we do all day long. It sounds like the chitta in your head. You know what chitta is? Monkey talk, monkey noise in your head. It just goes on and on. Well, she's this and she's that. Well, look at that. Who's does he thinking? he That's chitta. For those of you who've done yoga, you know chitta. You've heard that term. For those of you who know any Sanskrit, you know what that is. For those of you who don't, it's just monkey chatter. It's just that, that noise in your head, that static, that just meaningless, endless river of garbage that just flows through your head until you learn how to get out of it. So you learn how to get up on the bank of the river and watch that chitta go by. To remember yourself is to be conscious of yourself and of what you're praying for. Feeling the meaning of all that you say while you feel yourself saying it. Uh, why does he have to say all that? Because <laughs> it's true and you have to do all that. And you can't do. So now what? Well, what you do is you find what you can do and you do that part. So can you remember yourself? Well, sometimes. Well, good. When you remember yourself, you are conscious of yourself. And then that's the time to pray. So pray then. When do people usually pray? Well, when they pray when they're afraid. People pray out of fear. Well, what do you think that is? Is that real prayer? I guarantee you that is action-reaction. That's just a trigger. Fear is a trigger, and it triggers it. Oh God, please, if you, if you get me through this, if, if I find my homework, I, I, I will, I will go to church every day. I will do this. I will give up chocolate for six seconds. I will, you know, we have all these, we bargain. That's not prayer. That's bargaining. That's insanity. That's that chitta. That's just this, that's that mind stuff that comes from the second state of consciousness. Sleep, waking sleep, where it just is this river of garbage flowing by. But the problem is, in the second state of consciousness, is you're floating in the river. And it's hard to tell yourself from the garbage. So you grab hold of a piece of garbage and you go, wow, look at this, it's a lifeboat. But you're still going over the falls. The idea is to get out of that second state of consciousness, up onto the bank of the river, the third state of consciousness, where you can watch that stuff. And then as you move further and further away from it, you don't, have to, you don't have to, you can hear it in the background, but it doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to go and jump in on every piece of garbage you see go by. That's not garbage. Look at that. Somebody threw a perfectly good Mercedes-Benz away and you jump on that. Well, now you're identified and you're lost again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Of course you understand what I'm saying. You're not stupid. Well, okay. Maybe you are stupid, but stupid only means slow to apprehend. It's not a bad thing. It's just it's something that needs to be cured. It's like ignorance. Ignorance is not a bad thing. If you recognize your ignorance, you're already using it to transform your being, which is what this work is about. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Little mechanical frightened eyes pray without ceasing all the time, but to no avail. Because real prayer is when a more real eye is praying or more real eyes are praying. Real prayer can only happen from eyes that are more real. They're the only ones who can really pray because they're the only ones who are conscious or becoming more conscious we must know for what we pray. Praying for enlightenment means praying to see things as they really are, apart from imagination and apart from subjective ideas. So people pray all the time, Well, I'm praying for enlightenment. And then they fight enlightenment tooth and nail. When you pray for enlightenment, you have prayed to have a miserable, difficult life. No, I haven't. That's not the enlightenment I want. Well, that's the only enlightenment there is when you're us, because otherwise, you don't need to be praying for enlightenment. The truth is, is that we are ignorant. We are in the dark. We do not know ourselves. And so praying for enlightenment means you're praying to know yourself. Well, when you pray to know yourself, you're praying to find out all of the things that you've hidden from yourself, that you hate about yourself, that you detest about yourself, that you deny about yourself, that you justify about yourself. That when somebody else comes and says, man, could you you be any more arrogant? Could you? Could you? I'm asking you a question. Could you be any more arrogant? Uh, Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) How do you know that? Cause I have been. yeah because I have been there you go so you begin to know yourself and how do you feel about your arrogance oh, look at the look on his face don't you love the look on his face if only the people in the podcast land could see the look on his face he looked like he just ate something out of the river of chitta <laughs> he had a mouthful of chitta you know ugh, oh that was just nasty I don't like it it doesn't taste good arrogance does not taste or smell good when we're in it we can't smell or taste anything we are immune to the smell and the taste of it, but other people can smell it and taste it. They don't like it. It's like, pewee. you stepped in something, man. I know I stepped in some chit was was over there in the river. When we pray, we've got to know what we're praying for. When we make an aim, we've got to know what the aim is. We make aims, oh, I, I want to be awake. No, you don't. What you really want is to awaken gradually and slowly. That's what you really want. Well, no, I want to be awake right now. Oh, no, you don't. This work has stated so many times, If All of a sudden, all of your contradictions became apparent to you instantaneously. You would go mad. Some of you have a little taste of that experience, where you start to see something about yourself and the depression that came about from it, where you saw something big about yourself, some big contradictory thing about yourself. The depression was so bad that you thought, this isn't worth it. I I can't, I'm going to, forget it. I'm not, I'm going to kill myself. I'll never make it. You just go down. And it's tough to get buoyed back up again. You've got to get hold of some really good, positive ideas from the work and got to start climbing back up that rope hand over hand. And It's hard. It can be hard enlightenment is not all it's cracked up to be when we talk about it. We think, oh, yeah, I want to be enlightened. Oh, I'm enlightened. Enlightenment is, there's a lot of sadness involved in enlightenment. People don't understand that. Yes, there is happiness. Yes, there is joy. But there is also sadness. It is there. It is real. It is a real, genuine emotion. Grief is a real, genuine emotion. It may be the most genuine emotion that people in our condition ever have. Until we begin to awaken a little bit more. And then you start to get little whiffs, little wafts of love, little wafts of peace. You know, just it's on the wind and you just catch it and it's like invigorating. It's like, wow, oh, wow, that was great. Little mechanical eyes deny, defend, justify, attack, resist, and become negative, which of course leads to violence. Then a request can't receive a response. You're contracted, how can you receive anything? And your fist is closed, you can't receive anything. When your whole being is closed like that, you can't receive anything. You can request all day long. You can't receive anything because you're like an armadillo all curled up. You've got this shell around you. You're tight. That won't work. It's better to pray for more understanding than it is to pray for enlightenment because we really can't bear seeing ourselves objectively without going bonkers. Pray for more understanding. When you say, I wish to remember myself, you're already remembering yourself a little because you remembered to say, I wish to remember myself. So you've already awakened a little. You're not in complete, total sleep where you think you're already awake, but you've already awakened a little. And so you say, I wish to remember myself. And then you say, and my prayer is, my aim is to understand more. I would like to understand myself better. I would like to understand other people better. I would like to understand how I relate to the universe better and how the universe relates to me. I would like to understand that better. That's, what, that's my aim. That's my prayer. Remember, aim and prayer are the same thing. If you've gone south on me because you've heard the word prayer too often, then just hear aim. It's like, for those of you who do Vipassana meditation, if I say to you, Anicca, 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 you know it means impermanence, impermanence, impermanence. You know it means changing, changing, constantly changing. So you know that it's going to change. For those of you who don't know that, now you do know it, if you can remember it. So we pray for more understanding, or we make our aim to understand better. Imaginary prayer is based on imagination about oneself. Pictures of ourselves are always formed out of imagination. We can also take photographs that are more conscious. They aren't formed out of imagination because they're exposed in the light of awareness. That's the difference. But when it's a picture, it's formed out of imagination. It's not real. A photograph is real because it's exposed in the light of consciousness. When we imagine we're good and we're kind, then we aim or we pray to be more that way. Imaginary prayer goes with imaginary work on ourselves. They go hand in hand. If you've got imaginary prayer, you're doing imaginary work on yourself. If you're good and kind, if you've got a picture of yourself as good and kind, where did that picture come from? Imagination. Pictures are formed from imagination. If you've got a photograph of yourself as good and kind, what does that mean? Periodically you have a moment where you might be... That's right. It means periodically that you had a moment where you were actually good and kind. You were a little more awake and you made a choice. You went with better eyes and you made a choice to do something that was totally against your nature. That's what that means. Good. Invented prayer can be useful in showing us how asleep we are. So invented aim can be useful. So let's say you invent an aim. Let's say you invent an aim like to, to be awake, to wake up every hour on the hour. And so let's say you have a little egg timer and you put it on your belt and you set it for an hour, and then every hour that egg timer goes off and goes beep, 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 and you wake up. So that's an invented aim. There is some benefit to that. An invented aim, especially in the very beginning of this work, invented aims are very important. And they're very important because invented aims show you that you can't do. They show you that you're not one. They show you that you have no will. And in the beginning, that's what you need to see more than anything else. Even now, we need to see that more than anything else. But in the beginning, we really needed it hammered home. Now, after all these years, it's like feather dusting. Now somebody can come along with a feather dust and just touch you with it. They don't have to hit you on the head with a hammer. They can just go, and you go, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Okay, that was crazy there. I was asleep. So we make aims, can't keep them, showing that we're not one, but many different contradictory eyes or selves. If we don't apply the work to ourselves, we can't advance, not even a millimeter. As long as you go around applying this work to other people, you will not advance. They may, but you won't. Even imaginary prayer can be useful if we see how absurd it is. If you see the absurdity of it, you eschew it. You won't want anything to do with it. Habitual, invented aim without relation to what we need to awaken brings no result whatsoever. Real prayer grows out of self-knowledge gained through self-observation because consciousness grows out of self-observation. Self-knowledge comes from consciousness, so real prayer can't happen anywhere except in a third state of consciousness, which is the state of self-remembering, which is the state of self-awareness. Therefore, real prayer must grow out of self-knowledge, which is gained through self-observation. So how is real prayer accomplished? Well, first, you have to observe yourself. Then you begin to know yourself. And then, when you can know yourself, you can begin to formulate real prayers, real requests, because you know what the response is. See, you already know what the response is. What does the absolute want of you? Well, it wants you to be all that you can be. What do you want of you? Well, you want to get all that you can get. That's not the same thing as being all that you can be. One belongs to the acquired self, and the other belongs to the essential self. The one that belongs to the acquired self is the greedy little thing that wants to get all that it can get. I want more. I want more. I want more. That is all acquired self. The essential self doesn't want more. The essential self wants less. When you hear someone say, I want more, you can be sure that they're in their acquired self. So we're back to Jack now. You remember Jack from the Bible, which is really not the Bible, but some esoteric story. For those of you, don't, it's okay, relax. We have no Bible here. I wrote all this down on a piece of paper. No, there's not a Bible in sight. Not a Bible in sight. It's like Christmas Eve. Jack gave general prayer as an example because it changes at different stages of work. It's no longer necessary to do what's been done. When the disciples, when his friends, excuse me, when his friends asked Jack, well, teach us how to make aim. He said, well, when you make aim, don't make aim like these people do. Make aim this way. And then it was just a general aim. Our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, what are we saying? There's nothing specific about that. The specificity kills us. It's a mold for prayer. You see, it's a mold for aim. It's pour your aim into that. Let your aim be molded by that general form. Your aim has to change because you change. As you change, your aim will have to change. It will necessarily change because what you've done already, you don't have to do that again. You just keep on doing that. If you become aware in some area, you're not going to go back to sleep readily there. If you become aware more than once, if you you use some invented aim and you've become aware in some area, then that's going to trigger awareness every time you do that. That's another good thing about invented aim. It can also do that. It can trigger awareness. One thing leads to another, opening up new areas in which to work. So some things remain the same. That is, we must always remember ourselves. Yet, how we do that has to change, because anything that we do over and over and over again will eventually become mechanical. So, how we remember ourselves will necessarily change as we continue to expand our consciousness. Real prayer is always answered, because it can't not be answered. Real aim is always accomplished, because it can't not be accomplished. Real request always receives response, because a real request is connected to the real response. They cannot be separated. The only separation that can happen between real request and real response is in your contracted consciousness. It is never not that way except in your mind, in your consciousness. You are not aware of it. You can only see one side of the moon, but you can't see the other side of the moon, so you are not aware of it. But the other side of the moon is there, even though you can't see it. And that's what this is like. Unless we know how to ask, we can't receive. So it's not a matter of, will the universe answer my request? No. The question is, will you learn how to ask? That's the real question. Will you learn how to make aim? Not, will you be able to reach your aim? The question is, will you be able to learn how to make a real aim? because if you can make a real aim then you're already receiving the response. Making the real aim is the response and it will just keep on rolling once you set it in motion. Begin to notice what puts you to sleep and you approach the possibility of asking aright, making real aim and real prayer. So if you can begin to notice what puts you asleep you're already on track. Keep doing that. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.